G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the preliminary final review edition. Our grand finalists are set after two decisive preliminary final victories, which we are here to talk about in full detail. Of course, this podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season as i say very good morning to my footyology co-host mark fine well i don't think any of us counted on those sorts of preliminary final results finey absolutely not you don't expect that in a preliminary final you've got the four best teams throughout the year and with home ground advantage to port and geelong's experience we didn't expect those margins but what we do have are two teams that have been equally as blindingly impressive. So who knows what happens in a grand final? I'm not saying it can't be a blowout, but it certainly looks like two heavyweights matching each other and ready to go toe-to-toe in what could be one for the ages. I couldn't agree more. We seem to say it every year, but uh, I think most people would agree these are the two best-performed sides of 2021. So hopefully an epic awaits. Uh, I'll tell you what else is epic though, Finey, and that is our other wonderful uh, podcast partners here at Footyology. Uh, Give them a bit of a shout out. You know, you mentioned two heavyweights that were the best throughout the year in the best form heading into the grand final. Well, our two sponsors, long-standing, first of all, Andrews Hamburgers, a genuine heavyweight in the world of Hamburgers, because 80-odd years old, Rowan. Old enough to have seen the first Melbourne Foots Grand Final. Amazing. They were there, open, selling burgers, and they still do so. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, a brilliant burger, true champions. And so West Point Properties, the highest quality. That's why they were always on the go, always working in the southeastern Melbourne suburbs, Join the queue to get your house renovated or rebuilt. It's not a long queue, but it's an exclusive one, which is what your new house will be. West Point Properties and Nick Spartels. And, of course, don't forget our other official partners, Stats Insider, the best sports data analysts in the business. They work with a range of more than 15 sports across the globe. They sample an event 10,000 times to give you the best range of probable and possible outcomes. Also, the home to some wonderful independent sports journalism, all free to use. So head to their magnificent website at statsinsider.com.au and check it out. And while you're at it, give them a follow on Twitter at Stats Insider. Well, two massive preliminary finals. We are going to go through them both in fulsome detail. Let's start right now. On Footyology, wrap around. 
The first preliminary final was played in Perth on Friday evening at Optus Stadium between Melbourne and Geelong. The upshot, Melbourne into its first grand final since 2000 and its big chance to win a first premiership for 57 years after a complete and utter demolition job on the hapless Cats. The final scores, Melbourne, 19-11, smashing Geelong by 83 points. The Cats, 6-6-42. The goal kickers, Max Gorn, five goals. What a game he played. The Demon Skipper, three to Pickett, two to Spargo, two to Brown, two to Fritch, singles to Petrarca, Harms, Neil Bullen, McDonald and Sparrow. For the Cats, just a one multiple goal kicker. That was Jeremy Cameron, who indeed kicked the first and last goals of the game. And singles to Hawkins, Stanley, Myers and Smith. Well, Finey, it was an absolute belting and it started from the word go. Five goals to one in the first quarter. Uh, a more even second term with uh, four goals apiece, but uh, an incredible burst after half time by the Demons, who rattled on eight goals two to just a solitary behind to put any doubt completely to bed. And in the last quarter, just playing out time. It was a triumph for the Demons. How do you see it? This was a ferocious, totally from backline to forward line, ground covering match of or, or, or really a, a output from Melbourne of brilliance that quite frankly I have not seen in my lifetime not at this pointy end of the season Rowan it must be hard to keep a lid on it but I guess the good thing for Melbourne in a way not for their supporters is that they're away from all that hype and unfortunately most of that hype is in lockdown in Melbourne because let's face it in our time Rowan We've only seen Melbourne in two grand finals, but that was against two far better teams, two of the great teams, Essendon and Hawthorne, and they went in rank outsiders. Not this time. We know that uh, their opponents look pretty shiny as well, but boy, Melbourne look good, and everything we think that's good about them came to fruition, including their three superstars, Gorn, Petrarca and Oliver. Well, what a, what a luxury it is to have three players that good, arguably three of the best half dozen or so players in the competition, all in the one part of the ground. And boy, did they flex their muscles there. But it wasn't just there. They were supreme up forward. They were dominant down back. What I really liked about this was uh, the way that they put it to bed in that third quarter because the Cats did kick the last two goals of the first half uh, all uh, both of them within the last couple of minutes of play, which got the margin down to just under five goals. And uh, I guess a few people would have been thinking, well, are they going to conjure a big comeback here? Well, that was just completely and utterly snuffed out within about 10 minutes of the resumption. Uh, the Demons kicked four of those eight goals in the first seven minutes of a third term. They had five in 11. They had six in 14 minutes. And Max Gorn, and Luke Jackson going pretty well in the ruck, and Max Gorn just parked himself up forward and uh, was unbelievable 
in that third quarter. Four goals he kicked in that third term and uh, was just get it up there and wait for someone, usually Gorn, to take a mark. They were dominant with forward entries. They were dominant in contested ball. Um, the clearances more even, but uh, they just were supreme in every facet of the game. And uh, Oliver and Petrarca out of the middle. How many goals did those two set up? It was just, uh, it was great to watch, wasn't it? It was really a masterclass in not only, well, well, if you have a look at the stoppages, they weren't uh, an area where Melbourne ran, ran rampant on the statistics, but in the game they did because when they got a ball at a stoppage, either Petrarca putting on those afterburners and like a bull just powering through tackles to create a real decisive clearance or Clayton Oliver brilliantly attracting moths to the flame and clearing the way for teammates. He does that so brilliantly, doesn't he? How he can control the ball and then sort of uh, distribute it almost intentionally drawing opposition fire to make room for teammates. Rowan, I want to mention a couple of players less mentioned in the summary of this game, and they are two forwards for Melbourne. I thought McDonald was powerful in the sort of bullocking work that he did. Less glamorous, of course, than Gorn going forward or a Bailey Freaks, not so much on Friday night, kicking goals. But I thought he worked hard up the ground and his body work paved the way for other players. And even though it wasn't required as it has been earlier on in the year, Cosie Pickett maintains his very good end of season form with three very crisp goals and just brilliant work when he's called on to, to uh, be part of the game. I just think he's in, in really good form heading into the GF. Well, a couple of others I wanted to mention too, because we talk about their midfield depth and obviously all the attention on Petrarca and Oliver, but I thought Jack Viney was outstanding for the Demons. And, you know, his form has wavered a bit in the last couple of years. and He's had injuries, but he really led from the front in this game and set the tone. You know, they were so hard at it in the contest. He ended up with 34 disposals and I thought played a, a, a crucial part in this win. Angus Brayshaw, uh, you know, was at one time the focus of this midfield group, no longer now. And I think that's worked to his advantage. He just compiles those numbers and uh, uses the ball very well. And then you've got the likes of Christian Salem off half back. They've just got, uh, you know, good performers all over the ground. And the so-called lesser lights in this side, they all pull their weight too. I think Charlie Spargo has become a really good player for them. He always, he's always looks dangerous. He bobs up with a couple of goals. He's very sharp around goals. Um, Sparrow's another one bobbed up. Ed Langdon on the wing, we've talked about a fair bit, but uh, he's just given him that extra bit of dash. Uh, it's a complete lineup. And um, <laughs> when you think back to last year and where they were at, they didn't miss the finals by a lot, but it's all been a pretty ordinary story since that 2018 preliminary final. But even that, I mean, that was a, a year in which they came from the bottom half of the eight and won a couple of surprise victories and then were just shown up for um, the level they were still off the mark in that preliminary final building in, in Perth. But this side is just so much better than that version. 
And it's all set up for them now. I guess, speaking about all set up or eras or, or whatever, we do have to talk about Geelong because we've said it repeatedly over the years every time they fall short. But I've got to say, this time, there was that sort of, is this the end of the line look about the Cats? Uh, so crushing was their defeat. Do you think they can bounce back from this? Not the structured game style and the bulk of that team, no. And I don't think that their supporters or even the football world will just give them a, a tick to sort of um, saddle up again with basically the same list, maybe a couple of changes at the fringes. Henderson would go, I think. I don't know whether Dalhouse keeps his spot. That's only cosmetic. That, to me, would um, not be in any way acceptable to Geelong supporters. They know that they need to take the knife to this team, Rowan, and start to build up a cache of young, quick footballers that can energise that team. It's not hard to do. We saw Essendon this year recruit youth and what a difference that made just to... Just just to the feeling of the side. I think Geelong don't have to give away the idea of playing finals, but they do have to get some young, quick players in and they don't have a strong hand in the draft. So it might require some canny trading. It's a double-edged sword, this, isn't it? Because their uh, senior players and oldest players have been so durable and performed at such a high level for so long that that, by necessity, deprives the younger guys on the list of enough opportunity. And we've seen them occasionally play cameos. You know, Brad Close has had his moments. Young Max Holmes ended up this season playing, I think, nine or ten, might have been ten games in the finish. And they show flashes, but they're never handed uh, enough responsibility for them to really uh, grow into pivotal parts of that team. And, that now looks like it's going to have to happen with a rush. And like you say, they are an incredibly old side. We, uh, I suspect, are going to see a number of retirements, some we expect. I wonder if we might see a couple that we don't expect at this stage. And uh, we, we talked on Footyology Final Siren about Joel Selwood, but I wonder if he's at a bit of a crossroads. I wonder if Paddy Dangerfield's at a bit of a crossroads. I'd be loath to write either of those two off, and I think they should go on. But um, something's going to have to change because uh, the impact that either of those players is having on games has definitely been waning over the back half of this season. Well, I agree. I think Dangerfield's definitely uh, going to go on. Selwood is a watch this space. The first place... No, there's two places I think Geelong need to take a close, hard look at. They've been very um, loyal to and committed to a backline that has basically been made up of a Henderson, definitely Colin Jasney, definitely Buse, definitely Henry, definitely Blitzarves. They've got, and, and when they lost Tom Stewart, it all fell apart. I think they need to get pace and get a different way of getting the ball out of defence. That backline has to change. Which means that, and believe me, a, a Buse or a Colin Jasney would have a, a, a warm landing spot at other clubs. They might look at moving one of those on and they must address their ruck. This is an ongoing sort of uh, piece of unfinished business that they need to attend to. 
Yeah, it's a good point. They've been equivocating over that uh, ruck spot and the significance of it for a long time now. And uh, Reece Stanley, well, I'm not sure he's the answer. So plenty of thinking to be done down at Cadinia Park over summer. And one, just one last thing on the game row. Uh, it is the sort of the mating cry of not just the loser, but the annihilated team. I don't know if you caught some of the... Um, sort of information, the press coming out of Geelong. But you hear this occasionally when a team gets annihilated to the point where their fans are sort of scratching their heads. Apparently a virus ran through the Geelong team so bad that on a normal home and away game, handful of players wouldn't have even played, Rowan. <laughs> I've heard that many times down at St Kilda, trying to explain an inexplicable thrashing. Well, I have located the source of that virus, and I think its name is the Melbourne Football Club. And it's <laughs> spot on. <laughs> certainly played havoc with uh, the Cats' immune system. So, uh, Geelong finished season 2021 in third position. Melbourne marches triumphantly into a grand final in a fortnight's time, and what a game that is going to be. All right, that was the first preliminary final in Perth. The second one was played in Adelaide on Saturday evening. The second preliminary final at Adelaide Oval Saturday night was between Port Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs. And similarly to the Friday evening contest, it resulted in a smashing an emphatic victory to the Bulldogs. The final scores, 17-14, 116, defeating Port Adelaide, six goals, nine, 45. Port Adelaide losing a second straight home preliminary final. The goal kickers for the Bulldogs, a great spread of goal kickers, four goals to Bailey Smith. Wow, is that man in form? East Melbourne's finest mullet. Three goals to Mitch Hannon. Two to Bontempelli, two to Norton, singles to Johannesson, Shackey, Rorksmith, Scott, Trelaw and Vandermeer. For the power, two goals to Charlie Dixon, singles to Bonner, Houston, Marshall, Wines. And that was all she wrote. Well, Finey, um, pretty similar game in many respects, but the Bulldogs even more lethal in the first quarter of this game than Melbourne was in the first quarter on Friday night. 7-2 in that first term to just one goal one, just about game over at quarter time. It was an incredible start by the Doggies. They had the first goal on the board in under a minute. They had four up by 11 minutes. They had five after 14 minutes. Uh, It took five before Port even broke their duck. But the Doggies came again with two more late goals, both in the last minute of play, uh, another to Smith and one to Mitch Hannon, who played a terrific game up forward for the Dogs. And they went to quarter time with a six-goal-plus lead. Dominant, absolutely dominant around the ball, finding. And I hate to say... I told you so, but I did speculate in our preview that this was where I thought the Dogs would win simply by weight of midfield numbers. All their midfielders were on song. At quarter time, they were winning the clearance count 15 to 6, and they were winning the contested ball by 23 after just a quarter of footy. They just absolutely dominated at ground level, and Port simply didn't have an answer to it. 
You know, Rowan, early on this year, and I apologise to Saints fans to bring this up, but the Bulldogs absolutely annihilated St Kilda. Look, they did so to North Melbourne, but that at that time was maybe North Melbourne's fate heading into the game. And St Kilda weren't in great form, but this was a thrashing beyond thrashings. And I watched that game carefully and said to myself, all right, St Kilda's not played well tonight, but this team is executing superbly. We hadn't really seen that until now. And that is an awesome, awesome thing that Bulldogs have been able to tap into because, and I think you made this point during the season, which is why you steadfastly stuck by them right up to the pre-game here, is that their best football is the best in the AFL. And they were touching that in that first half. I'm also trying to recall similar dousings in finals. And, of course, Essendon's annihilation of Collingwood in a preliminary, preliminary Geelong doing it to Richmond. But seven goals to one in the modern game where you can control the tempo the way the doggies were able to do in the third quarter. Don't think that that third quarter wasn't brilliant, people. I mean, they didn't continue the shower of goals, but they ended the game conclusively by taking the absolute fizz out of the champagne. I thought it was a brilliant third quarter as well. Yeah, it's, that's a really good point because any chance the power had, they certainly came out with more energy and bounce in their step after half time. They had uh, two goals on the board in five minutes, one to Dixon, one to Marshall. Pivotal moment, of course, when Marshall appeared to have made that three goals, but uh, Bontempelli the man on the mark had managed to get a touch on that. But from that moment, uh, the Bulldogs really controlled the game again. And it wasn't that high-octane run-and-gun style. They managed to really slow it down and just play a bit of keepings off and just soak up the clock. And after about 10 minutes of that, you could just see the air completely go out of Port Adelaide's tyres. They knew the game was up. And then it was the dogs who ended up uh, kicking a couple of goals to finish the quarter off to Shackey and Trelaw. And for all its toil and desperation, Port hadn't closed the gap at all. And then, of course, the last quarter was just seeing our time and avoiding injury. But this midfield group... And Bailey Smith kicking a couple of absolute rippers. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's just in outstanding form. But... This midfield group, I reckon it's one of the best I've seen. I mean, we talk about Bontempelli a lot. We're starting to talk about McRae a lot because uh, he's just broken the record for numbers of possessions in a season, broke Tom Mitchell's record in the preliminary final. Uh, but he just does it every single week. But it doesn't just end there. You've got Lockie Hunter. You've got Josh Dunkley. You've got Bailey Smith. You've got Adam Trelaw, who played a much better game uh, last night after a quiet one in the semi-final. The list just How goes... Well, I forgot Libertore. The list just goes on and on. It is so deep. And when they all fire, as they pretty much all did in this game, I'm not sure even Melbourne has the sort of midfield numbers that the Bulldogs do, and it's an incredible weapon to have. You're spot on. All right, let's rank them in terms of their finals form. Bailey Smith, one. Yeah, no doubt. You've always got to put Bontempelli, two. He's just a champion. Except I'm not going to because McRae's two. Yeah. <laughs> so how how can you possibly have a midfield where on form Bontempelli is 
third. And, and Liberatore, you can make an enormous case for him as well. Now, Hunter's a different player. He provides spread and he's clever. And I think Dunkley's playing good football after his injury as well. Finally playing his best football. Beautiful little audacious kick that was described as lucky to get the ball to Bailey Smith for his third goal. Just shows how much confidence Dunkley has when he has the ball. You're right, Rowan. You're spot on. And Trelaw, he's outside of the midfield in terms of run, more a wingman. But that's part of the midfield. And wasn't he in good nick? Well, I think we also, and we did talk about this on Footyology Final Sign, but I think we've also got to pay plenty of credit to Luke Beveridge too in the way that he's managed this list, hasn't played favourites. There's always a ready soldier uh, to come in and replace one loss. Who would have thought after they lost their third game in a row, not only that they'd be in this position, but how they could possibly win a final missing Josh Bruce, their key forward, Alex Keith, their number one key defender, and Cody Waitman, who'd really been propping up that forward line in their darker weeks. So the fact that they were able to replace them and not only not miss a step, but actually improve their performance, they have enormous depth, evenness and flexibility, and it's it's going to hold them in really good stead. We, we need to talk about Port Adelaide, Finey, because they keep going to the well and coming up short. Last year, of course, they were on top of the ladder for every week of the season, missed out in a grand final spot by just a kick. I never felt they played quite as well this season, but the fact is they went into this game with seven wins under their belt. They'd started to beat the sides around them, which had been a criticism, and yet at the critical moment, they just really never look like it at any stage of this game. Where does Port Adelaide go from here, do you think? Okay. I think unlike Geelong, with that ageing list that needs some deep cuts, Port Adelaide have to continue and they have to stay the course. The ship's pointed in the right direction. I say that because, look, I think we, and you mentioned this in Footyology Final Siren, we do cut Rosie and Butters a fair bit of slack because of their precocious talent. You can't be a superstar footballer and I think live your whole life on a half-forward flank. In the end, they need to step up and they needed to step up in this thin midfield on Saturday night. But we'll see how they are managed. Both had excuses. Butters injured throughout the season and Rosie took some knocks as well. I liked Dersma. I liked the improvement of Drew. They get full seasons and Drew starts this year as a no, next season as a proper midfielder. Add Georgiadis. I think there's enough youth there to keep the show going, don't you? I do, but I think you make a really good point, and that is that that youth has to graduate into more, I guess, senior roles within the structure, and that means occupying the midfield for longer periods of time. We need to see Rosie and Butters, etc., play the sorts of games that we see Wines and Boak play week in, week out. They do have, uh, I think, not enough of those midfield drivers and probably a few too many half-forward flank slash midfielders. And, uh, you know, the likes of Fantasia and Gray, um, it, it just leaves them a little wide on when things really start heating up in the uh, in the thick of the action in the middle of the ground. So that's something to consider. I think their defence maybe 
still has to uh, ponder a bit as well because, look, Aaliyah Aaliyah just had an amazing season. He was all Australian. But is there enough support for him? Because we saw Josh Shackey sort of almost take Aaliyah out of the equation a bit and it left the Port uh, backline pretty vulnerable, I felt. Yeah, I agree. I think the captain was a bit disappointing. I, I don't mind Trent McKenzie's year and I don't even mind his game. Um, they've got an interesting backline, Rowan. Bonnet played well at the end of the season. He was best for them. Burton, gee, I don't know whether you can carry both Burton and Bonnet in the same team in as much that they are both generally received type players. In fact, I had a look halfway through the last quarter. Bonner's, I don't know how he ended up. He had 26 possessions, only one contested. That's okay. But I think you can only have one of them on the back line. They had a player who I thought had a very poor season right throughout. Nothing like 2020 was Darcy Byrne-Jones. Now, you know what? He would have huge currency on the trade market. The reason I say that is because they actually had a young player at the start of the year, his lookalike, who I think can fill that role just as well, Lockie Jones. Mm. I wonder whether or not they could get creative with a Darcy Byrne Jones, who I thought was pretty disappointing. They do need to look at the back line. Well, they've uh, shown in previous years they've been prepared to trade out some pretty decent players, haven't they? Uh, Chad Wingard, obviously yep. a very good example of that. So uh, just a quick one too on Ken Hinckley. He's contracted for another two years. Now, Port Adelaide being Port Adelaide, they get pretty antsy when results aren't being delivered over there. I'm talking about the fans. Uh, um, and, and I thought you were talking quite rightly about the uh, chairman or the president or whatever cocky, cock is or whatever his name is. <laughs> cock. Well, he does. He has been known to get a bit antsy too. But the fact is, Ken Hinckley re-signed at the start of this year and is contracted to the end of 2023. Uh, I think they've got to stay the course here. I mean... Again, I, I use my age-old argument. You keep getting close. You keep getting the results during the regular season. You put yourself in contention. And that is still three-quarters of the battle. And if you speculate on one or two bad finals performances, you can. Uh, the danger is that you throw the baby out with the bathwater. So, uh, look, he'll do a bit of soul-searching, and I think they'll look for some better alternatives and maybe a bit of a plan B. But... Uh, I've got no issues with Ken Hinckley as coach, do you? Absolutely none. And it's funny, when fans do get a little bit restless, they immediately turn to a coach. And we know Chris Scott is under the spotlight, in the spotlight under the glare of media attention at the moment. But hang on, who out there is better than those men? And as we said on Friday and Saturday nights, on Footyology Final Siren, there are 14 coaches that weren't doing anything on the weekend, mate. Yeah, no, very good point. So disappointing end to the year for Port Adelaide. Uh, they will finish officially in third spot on the ladder, having finished the home and away rounds second. And the Western Bulldogs into another grand final five years after breaking that premiership drought. So can they put a third Premiership Cup on the shelf out of Witten Oval. It is going to be a fantastic grand final. Well, those are the two preliminary finals analysed in detail. We've just got one game to go and we've got one segment to go in this podcast and we all know what it is. 
It's that one where we shout a lot. On Footyology, the rant off. All right, we wrap up this show with the world-famous rant-off. I've been steering on this one for a bit, Fanny. In fact, a few years, because there's a, a disturbing trend in football that, uh, given this year's grand final opponents, has finally got the better of me. I can't hold back anymore, and I'm ready to rant about it. Are you ready to count me in? I am. I, I, I'm sort of worried for you. Last week's private school rant was... Absolutely top shelf. And I've got to say, uh, my daughter, early 20s, and her friends listened to the podcast. They loved it. So you're going to do very well to top that or even equal it, Rowan. But I know you're up for the challenge. So one, two, three, give it your best shot. I'm pissed off about football fairy tales, Finey. What a cliche they've become. They're supposed to be fairy tales because they're stuff of bloody fantasy, i.e. they hardly ever happen. But these days, it seems like there's another version every five minutes. Look, I don't care which team wins this year's grand final, but you know whether it's the Demons or the Bulldogs, we're going to go all soppy and sentimental about it. One team without a flag for 57 years and the other with just one in 67 years. Yeah, you know what that means. Lots of grainy old black and white footage of the last time those teams were any bloody good heartwarming stories about some 136-year-old granny who was actually alive to see the last Melbourne Premiership. Shots all over the place of people crying with the sheer emotion of it all. Tear-jerking music in the background with some guy who sounds like he narrated the man from Snowy River delivering a piece of tortured poetry some 20-year-old producer from Fox Footy came up with. God, it's never going to end. It's just nothing special about fairy tales in football anymore. Think about the past 20 years or so. We've had Brisbane win flags for those poor old Fitzroy supporters to get some vicarious joy through their connection to the Lions. Sydney broke a 72-year drought for the Swans. Then Geelong won its first flag for 44 years after about 28 grand final defeats. Then it was the Bulldogs. And then even Richmond did it. Ruining forever all those great documentaries about how the once mighty had fallen and those gags about them finishing ninth on the ladder every year. And now we've got to do it all over again? Look, these aren't fairy tales anymore. They're a football Mills and Boone novel. They're fast food fairy tales. And what about those footy stories we really need to hear, Finey? You want a real slice of footballing pathos? I'll give you one. Take the story of two clubs in the inner northern suburbs once mighty, but for too long, impoverished, struggling to make ends meet, relying on the sustenance of glories long gone. You know who I'm talking about, Finey. I'm talking about the genuine battlers of the modern football world, Carlton and Essendon. Okay, so one got busted several times over for salary cap cheating. They're still effectively run by a clique of multi-millionaires, sacks coaches every five minutes, and still thinks it's a competition heavyweight. And yeah, yeah, okay, the other one might have got involved in a minor drug scandal, have half its players suspended and harbours a huge chip on its shoulder despite winning 16 premierships. But I'm telling you, Finey, the Blues and the Bombers are the Cinderellas of the 21st century. They just want a taste of the same glories these Geelong, Sydney and Richmond fans and now the Doggies and maybe even the Demons are all getting used to, those upstarts. Imagine the emotion, the pathos, when Carlton does finally actually become the powerhouse again 
it's been talking about for two decades. Picture those moving images of those downtrodden Pratts, Mathesons and Elliots clustered around their 28-foot cinema screens in their humble Turek mansions, celebrating the breaking of the ice. And think about the scenes when the bombers finally do it again, finding. Picture them wheeling out those famous baby bombers of 1993 by now old-age pensioners. Think for just a moment about the tears shed when Joe Mercedi and Ricky Ollerenshaw inch forward on their walking frames to embrace the new generation of Essendon Premiership heroes. Forget those so-called romantic premierships of today's AFL. It's the re-emergence of these fallen giants of the VFL that is the only genuine fairy tale left in football, Finey. God, I'm tearing up even now just thinking about it. And that man from Snowy River voiceover bloke better not even think about muscling in on the action. There's only one choice to the narrator of that amazing documentary, Finey, and it's me. And I'll be there, chronicling the deeds of giants as a proud club was restored to its former glory in the ultimate story of courage, commitment, and a long-awaited Premiership Cup. That's <laughs> a beauty. Oh, very good, Rowan. Very good. Well, oh, I loved it. We I love are the, the image. I love the image of the the poor downtrodden Pratts and Mathesons, Elliots gathering around the glow of a giant screen TV. They've been doing a tough finding. They can't even afford several dozen domestic staff anymore. <laughs> All right. Uh, Excellent. I know you've got something uh, close to your heart you want to get off your chest. So I'm going to count you in now. Three, two, one, rant. See the Western Bulldogs on Saturday night? They were magnificent. I mean, given what Melbourne had done the night before, I thought we were in an act from Annie Get Your Gun with the Bulldogs singing, anything you can do, I can do better. Well. It made me nostalgic, Rowan. It made me nostalgic for the doggies that I know. The old doggies. Footscray. I grew up knowing a different Bulldogs. A different team. The team I grew up knowing was Shithouse. And I missed them. You see, I grew up, I didn't know any Bulldog supporters. I came from the wrong side of town for that. Actually, I knew one. His name was Mark Sperling. He was known as Mad Dog Sperling. And not because he was a doggy supporter, just because he was three quarters insane. And I found out later that he was connected to the Spurlings that played for Footscray anyhow. So no surprise he barracked for them. Nobody else would touch that team. They were dross. I mean, now the dogs recruit brilliantly, pinpointing needs and filling them with ideal recruits from other clubs. Alex Keith, the ill-fated Josh Bruce, Stefan Martin, Trelaw, even Shaki's coming good. Back in the day, they were a dumping ground even for the Saints. I mean, what other club would have taken Phil Croman, Tony Evans, Con Gorazidis, John Bennett, Russell Tweedale and Greg Jones? Not to mention your favourite, Dean Sharon. I mean, this was a club in the 80s. If they would have recruited Hannon, it would have been Jimmy Hannon, not Mick Hannon. That I can assure you of. Now... They also keep their champions now. The Bont, Norton, McRae, they're going nowhere. I mean, have a look at Dunkley over the summer. They did well to keep him. 
Back in the day, if you were any good, you were out of there. I mean, a Brownlow was a ticket to freedom. Just think of Dempsey. He was out very quickly. And Templeton. Even if they thought you could win a Brownlow, piss off. That's it, Brian Wilson. Get out of here. Bernie Quinlan, we don't want you. And take Barry Round with you to a different club. I mean, they were mediocre with a capital M, Rowan. They were a collection of Cordys and Reeds and Berries and Fords. They had two Mark Williams, a couple of wheelers, but no dealers. They had a very odd ground that was always windy, which made that precarious sort of eagle's nest eyrie of a coach's box in the outer even more preposterous. The only reason you would go to Western Oval, well, there were two reasons. One was to get your car broken into, and the other was to piff stones at the Hyde Street Band. So as you all marvel at this glorious Western Bulldogs team, and over the next fortnight, you ponder the glories that lie ahead, I want to pay tribute. I want to pay tribute to the forgotten Bulldogs of the early 80s and late 70s. Forgotten, why? because I only played one or two games, but it was these men that made the doggies that I knew. So to Andrew Taylor, John Taylor, Tony Fox, Wayne Fox, Shane Walsh, Bruce West, Warren Stanlake, Brian Andrews and Andrew Pollitt, I salute you because you will always be the true Bulldogs, the Bulldogs of my salad days. <laughs> very, very good. Jeez, you, uh, you were, went through the depths of the list to come up with those names. I actually don't recall any of those players at all. Do you, or did you have to look them all up? All right. John Taylor, I remember, because yeah, he no, famously played for Williamstown against Port Melbourne, got in a brawl, and a Port Melbourne player pulled his shorts down to his ankles and he tripped <laughs> over. I don't remember the two Foxes, but I do know that Fox has sort of been a curse name in footy. And if you have a look at all the Foxes that played, very few played many games. Well, Brad Fox and I have, nearly died at the hands of your full forward. And I have no idea who Bruce West, <laughs> Shane Walsh, Warren Stanlake, Brian Edwards, and particularly Andrew Pollitt are. Warren Stanlake, that rings a bell. I don't know. I thought he had something to do with uh, Australia too, that won the America's Cup. Or was I, I thought he was else? a commentator, but that was Daryl Eastlake. <laughs> no, very good. It is very, there's something very disturbing about seeing the balance of football power tipped on its head. And, Rowan, uh, I, I'm telling you, when I was a kid, even opening a pack of footy cards, you didn't want to see Footscray. <laughs> like you couldn't swap them. Who wanted a Ken Greenwood? Uh, well, they, they are definitely getting their own back now. No, very good. Very well done. That was very entertaining. Uh, I hope you've been entertained th for the duration of this podcast as well. And that's where we wrap it up. Not, though, without plugging our wonderful sponsors. Of course, this podcast is always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. Uh, and our other wonderful backers, Finey, give them a shout out. If you're hungry, I am going to absolutely talk to you for a second. Just imagine biting into the best burger you've bitten into. And I'm not kidding, because if you're hungry, the cheese on that. And I love egg on a burger, the broken yolk. It's all magnificent at Andrew's Hamburgers. It really is. I back them with confidence. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Oh, the boys at West Point Properties. 
They are footy fans and they're looking forward to this upcoming grand final. Why? <laughs> because they love the best. And I think we've got the best going around. West Point Properties, Nick Spartels and the boys. Big fans of footyology. In fact, just huge fans of footy. As are indeed the boys at Stats Insider. They are your quintessential footy uh, devotees. And they are also the best sports data analysts in the business. They work with a range of 15 sports globally. And they sample an event 10,000 times to bring you the probable and possible outcomes most likely. There's also some wonderful writing on the site. In fact, I'll be pinning a column for them as uh, soon as tomorrow. So look out for that. It's all free to use. Check it out at statsinsider.com.au and give them a follow on Twitter at statsinsider. Check out the Footyology website and uh, become a Footyology patron uh, via Patreon for just $7 Australian a month. There's links all over the website or you can donate at uh, the supporter page on Acast wherever you listen to this podcast. Well, we've got a couple of weeks to wait for the grand final, but uh, we're not going to be twiddling our thumbs here at Footyology indeed. If you're a supporter of the 16 clubs whose season is over, we have got something for you. We will be doing a full review of the seasons of all those clubs and looking at where they need to improve for 2022. Two special podcasts on the 16 clubs whose season is already over. We'll be recording them midweek. So look out for them. The footy action never stops here at Footyology. That's it for this week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, everyone. We'll catch you mid-next week.